Today we are in conversation with Jasper Klimby. Jasper is a former lawyer, journalist, screenwriter, and copywriter. Yes, he's done all of that, and all those things have prepared him to eventually become a conversation designer. Jasper has worked for Google and actually taught the Google Assistant how to speak Dutch and Flemish. After that job, he joined Conversation Design Institute, where he is one of the leading designers and consultants. Jasper has experience working with banks, telcos, sports brands, and retail companies. And all of that experience has helped him develop courses for both AI training and on personality content. So I very much enjoyed this conversation with Jasper, and I know you will too. This is so good to see you, Jasper. Yeah, Thank thanks, for... Hans. Good to see you too. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for doing this. And uh, it's it's kind of an interesting episode here because we know each other pretty well because we see each other in the office quite <laughs> often, but we never really yeah. take the time to sit down and have a chat. And I think we have no. plenty of interesting stuff to talk about. Yeah, now we have to pretend that we don't know anything about each other because that'll, well, there... <laughs> that'll give us the biggest insights. Yeah, and still there, there's lots that, that I don't know. So that that is interesting. And particularly what, what I'm interested in, I want to lead with a little bit is is what's your i guess what's your current role at conversation design institute but mainly what was your journey because everybody has like this different path of entering the world of conversational ai and their different perspectives so so because i know you've been let's see i'm I'm just calling out a few here lawyer journalist screenwriter (laughs) personality designer yeah what's the story yeah, that's a, it's a, a good question. I mean, like many people in the field of conversation design, um, and that's also a way of seeing that it's a pretty new field, is that uh, there are very, very diverse backgrounds. So people from all kinds of fields have um, jumped into conversation design as a new field. And for me, this the story begins all the way back in my student days when I was uh, studying law here in Amsterdam and uh, before that actually philosophy and economics in in London Um, and I wasn't really a very uh, diligent student in the sense that I was spending all my time doing theatre and writing and comedy and all that kind of good stuff and so whenever exams would come up I'd cram for them and and pass some exams and finally got my law degree and um, joined a law firm because that's what you do, right? You become a lawyer because that's what you've been trained for. And um, actually, my job interview was uh, the, the final one with the senior partner who hired me was uh, a 45 minute talk about Monty Python. Uh, and we all did silly walks around the table, <laughs> which when I left the building, not knowing whether I'd actually landed the job, um, I suddenly had this realization moment that it might have been like this elaborate prank, right? That they thought we're not going to hire this guy, but the, the others told told us he was kind of funny. So let's see how far we can go. But then, luckily, on uh, you know, as soon as I was home, uh, I checked my email and they sent me an email that I I got the job. So that was at an international law firm, and I became a lawyer, and it was all very serious. And um, um, yeah, the thing I liked about the law and 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 being a lawyer was working with uh, very interesting and brilliant people. Um, and there's also a, a great problem-solving element in law, obviously, which is the thing that I did like. The thing I, I did not like that much is that it's, yeah, it's pretty pretty negative. Uh, especially I was uh, in litigation, so it's a pretty negative field. You're basically just 
getting paid to argue and bicker and fight. Um, so that, that didn't really connect with me that much. But what did connect with me was that during the law thing, I, uh, I did the, uh, the office uh, comedy routine and then I did the mm. uh, bar association, uh, cabaret, uh, which is like stand up comedy and music. Um, and then I, I got in touch with some people who were in, in the movie industry. So I started, started writing for film and, then after three years of being a lawyer, I was uh, I was suddenly at that that decision point either to go for it full bore or to to choose life, and I chose life, right? So um, uh, then I joined television and really got into writing more, and worked for one of the Netherlands' biggest TV shows, which is where a, a rather stereotypical judge visits houses and 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 looks at the problems people are having with their neighbors and makes decisions. And it's really hilarious and. Um, wrote stuff for that. And then I pitched my very first screenplay idea to a production company. And much to my surprise, they said, yeah, that's cool. We're going to make it. You're going to write it with a director, Will Point. And so uh, unfortunately, after working on that for six years, next to my day job, it didn't go through because the financing never happened. But it was a great experience. And I, I went to LA to do a year of screenwriting program at UCLA a Film School. So you could say that writing became more and more my thing, moved through journalism uh, for a local news station uh, into uh, copywriting proper, like uh, for ads and campaigns. And so I was really learning the power of language. Um, and it's so interesting uh, to see what well-written language can achieve. And also to see uh, that well-written means different things for different applications. Um, mm -hmm. And so one day, uh, a friend of mine from my old movie contacts, he sent me an email and he forwarded me this a job opening at Google. And it was a very vague description. It was basically, we're looking for a writer who can localize stuff, but we're not going to tell you anymore, but uh, you just have to apply. Right. And so I, and I, which year was that? That was 2017. So, and I wasn't aware at all of like, Google Assistant, uh, you know, I had someone in the office who was nuts about Apple and he would demonstrate what Siri could and couldn't do. And even as a complete Apple fan, he wasn't that big of a, a Siri fan at the moment because it had been localized to Dutch and it couldn't really do much. Um, so I wasn't, it wasn't really top of mind that it was that, but I just thought, okay, Google writing anything for Google just sounds like fun, right? So I applied, didn't hear anything. And then I got this weird little one page, like after three months, I got this one page uh, test to fill out. And it was like, create a personality, write, uh, answer these 15 questions as that personality, uh, do 15 ways of saying hi, 15 ways of saying goodbye. And still, it wasn't really clear to me that this was for a chatbot. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Uh... Who created that test? Because that must have been maybe Wally or something. Do you, yeah, do you I know? think it was Black probably Team Wally uh, Wally Brill uh, on the on the persona persona personality team for Google. Uh, it was their standard test for for ages. Um, probably still is for as, as far as I know. Mm -hmm. And it's just basically you can and you know I had to write a joke as well, and so I I figured out uh, I figured I should make one up myself, and uh, I can't remember it now. It's, but it was to do with, oh yeah, the joke was it started, they gave you an, an opening, which is like a famous opening. So how many 
Googlers as it take to change a light bulb. And I said that that depends what they want to change it into. So, and, uh, you know, they obviously sent this test out a lot. And one of the comments I got in my first interview was like, we've never had that one before. So <laughs> I was like, oh, thank God. Um, yeah. And then the first job interview was scheduled for like 20, uh, 25 minutes with uh, Benjamin Dorvel, who became my lead. And um, we talked for like two and a half hours about character, uh, persona, about my th- what the Dutch Google Assistant should have as a personality. Um, because in the Netherlands, for example, we we have, we have don't really do hierarchy very well. Um, and in the relationship between a customer or a, a, a person and a chatbot, uh, there's a there's very, very, a lot of opportunity to get hierarchy incorrect. So, mm. um, you know, our Dutch chatbot, uh, my idea from the start was like, it can't be submissive. It can't be like a servant because Dutch people just aren't comfortable with that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we had that great talk and I talked to some other people from the team. And before I knew it, I was flying off to London to meet my team and uh, teamed up with the Danish writer. Uh, Martin, who we actually still work for, uh, work with at CDI, um, and Mark, who was writing for English, and we still work with him at CDI, and some others. It was a great team, a great fun, and we did that for one and a half years. I created the Dutch, uh, the entire Dutch corpus with like eleven hundred intents, and uh, after launch in the first couple of months, we I had three million views, so three million interactions with views? the chatbot. Yeah. And I was is like, it, is it counted as a view? Or yeah, it it's like, yeah, I don't remember exactly the name, but it was like yeah. 3 million. And, and I was like, that was in the first month or something. And we have 17 million people in the Netherlands. So I was like, and I actually, when we had to report our numbers, um, I, I called the, I had a call with the, the project manager. And I was like, yeah, I'm happy to report these numbers that the dashboard is giving, but I don't think they're right. Because that's like so many, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Uh, that's crazy numbers yeah and she was like no 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 yeah you, you know it's completely correct because you know people are asking for jokes and talking to nonsense and so that was really good and um first we launched the for the assistant on the phone and then later on for google home and the especially the google home thing was a real big event because it was uh yeah. you know it's more of a physical object and 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 uh, philips lighting was on board for so for the netherlands that was a, a major thing because it, we're all very proud of philips and um yeah people really get a kick out of being able to 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 tell their google home to turn on and off the lights and stuff like that so yeah, but I, yeah. I remember that too because I, I i think i i was part of like a, a study group at the philips lightning thing ah, i don't, know how I, I don't yeah. know how i ended up there yeah, but I yeah. had, like my whole apartment was packed with these lamps and then i got the google assistant so i remember just being like 20 times a day turn them off yeah, turn yeah, them yeah, off, yeah. Make, it red, make it blue <laughs> so i mean i guess that's how you get to like three million interactions there yeah that helps right? that helps yeah there was a weird thing there though um so the google assistant uh has its own um a content management system obviously google just created as you know as uniquely they only can it's like okay so we have all these platforms we could use to power our google assistant so but we're going to build one from scratch for ourselves 
And then we're going to launch. And then as we kind of have the thing running, we're going to change it a lot of times and we're going to drive everybody nuts. But every time afterwards, everybody is going to be like, oh, yeah, that is actually a lot better. Right. So uh, this platform was called, is called uh, Geppetto. And it's like uh, it, nobody else can use it. So it's only for the Google Assistant. And um, the way it works was uh, like a really simple Q&A uh, chatbot function. So you ask a question, you get an answer. But the matching is like stunning, right? So um, we would, as writers, we would uh, not only write all the answers, but we would also, as soon as you written an answer, you'd press a play button, you'd hear it back in the actual voice. And so, oh, wow. and then you had a separate field in which you could manipulate the language. So let's say you were using a word uh, that it didn't recognize very well from the text to speech. You would just replace that for sounds or a, 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 a synonym word, which it did pronounce correctly. So sometimes the you know the spelling would be incorrect formally, but you wouldn't see that as a user. But in the in the in the back end, you could change it. So that was oh. cool, and you could add sound effects, which is like still still pretty unique to the major voice uh, assistants like Alexa and Google that they have sound running through the dialogues and it doesn't interrupt it and it's really integrated and smooth. Uh, so I think that's one of the things we're going to be seeing in commercial platforms moving forward is more audio soundscaping because it works really yeah. well. I mean, if you write a lame joke, I, I wrote 110 original jokes. Um, and the best way to get those to work is to have a pause for the punchline and then have the, have the punchline and then actually have the, like the laugh track and the, the audience yeah. clapping and stuff because people just get a kick out of it because there's really silly jokes because they have to, there's a lot of, you know, hoops you have to jump through compliance and, and stuff. You can't offend anybody and stuff. So for humor, that's kind of tricky. So a lot of the jokes are kind of very vanilla and, but then with yeah. the audio things and, you know, if you have a joke about an elephant and you do the punchline and you hear the elephant and then the audience clapping, I mean, it's just going to make you giggle. Right. So, so they were, yeah. yeah, that's one of my proudest achievements that they, they also scored a high thumbs up rate from the users, which is something they they really look at at Google. I mean, were, have... uh, were your jokes on average better than your fellow European? Yeah, I was up there with the, the leaders of the pack, and I was one of the few who only had his original jokes in there. So I was, you know, the, the markets that performed best were at like 75% uh, thumbs up ratio. So I was at 75, sometimes it moved to 74 and 76 around that mark. Uh, but most markets had um, a, a, a large set of like a domain uh, rights free uh, jokes in there, just uh, public domain yeah, jokes. Like a... yeah. Ah, okay. So I was yeah, very proud. So... They were all my own, yes. But there's, uh, there's already a few things, I think, of, of your journey so far that, that you've, that are, they're very interesting to talk about and sort of play around with a little bit. So there's, you know, you're dealing with an international, you're operating in, in multiple countries with multiple languages. So you have a, a whole team of copywriters. You're talking about, you know, what's the hierarchy level. And in the Netherlands, we don't like hierarchy much, but that might be different in other countries. So that influences yep. uh, persona. And then some things that might be incredibly funny in the Netherlands go flat in Obviously, I want to say Germany, but uh, it could be anywhere. But um, but so so how 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 does a team like that at that scale? What, what can you share about that? How's that dynamic? Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting because um, 
whichever way you slice it, Google is a very much an American company. So it's just in their DNA, uh, even though their workforce is probably, probably the internationals, you know, if you take into account where they have people, uh, the international element probably outnumbers actual quote unquote Americans, but it's just in their DNA that they're very American and the Americans, they, they love a certain kind of hierarchy, for example. So what would happen is that, for example, for Christmas content, it would be like, so, okay, we have this American Christmas content and it's really cool and you need to localize it. And so here in the Netherlands, we do Christmas, but we, Christmas isn't our biggest December festivity. Our biggest December festivity is Sinterklaas, which is earlier in the month around the 5th of December, yeah. which is probably has the same root origin, but it's, we celebrate it a different way. Christmas, different day. Christmas is actually based on Sinterklaas. Exactly. So, yeah. um, so I was like, yeah, we can we can go do some seasonal content for Christmas, but we have to go big on Santa Claus. And so I was actually called into a meeting with San Francisco. I was like, so why? What is this thing? And then we got into, for example, Santa Claus here in the Netherlands. We have a rather uh, strange uh, ritual that's called Black Pete, who is a blackface white person. Uh, playing the sidekick of Sinterklaas, who is a white man with a beard. So in the Netherlands, uh, things have changed so that we've started to realize as a people that Black Pete is maybe not a very savory tradition and we should move away from that because it's just offensive. Um, but we're still, so to speak, transitioning in that. So I had to explain to a room full of people in San Francisco the tradition of Black Pete, which was very tricky in and of itself because it's like so politically incorrect that I actually talked to my lead about how do I talk to a room full of people about this subject without, you know, getting into hot water because it's like, don't shoot the messenger, but the words are coming out of my mouth, right? So that would yeah. be very interesting. Uh, that went well, by the way, and we we found out a way to address everything. So that was cool. But so the, their instinct is to, especially because the American Google Assistant was performing really well at the time, it was outscoring Alexa and Siri by huge margins in, in the sense of customer satisfaction and, and appreciation and media coverage. And, um, so they really had to make a leap of faith finally to allow mm -hmm. local markets to, you know, to be trusted, to make these decisions. And I think that also for large companies that applies um, one of our clients is doing an international rollout now and we're advising them, you know, you have a small local team. I understand that you want them to basically create a local version of what you're making, but if you don't give them leeway to create what's, what's relevant for their market and trust them in that a bit, then, uh, they will be very unmotivated because that's really needed. So, so we had a, and, and I guess Google was not to, you know, toot my own horn, but they were, they were fortunate to have a great group of writers internationally who could be trusted to yeah. create content. And actually my, my, my background as a former lawyer, uh, was soon became an item because people from the European market would be routed to me to make judgment calls about whether things were possibly offensive or correct or stuff like that. So I became a bit of a legal light advisor for localization. So that was, that was actually fun, you know, talking with somebody for, yeah. who was writing for Poland about whether a joke there could be, or could be, could not be done, you know, so that was good.
This episode is brought to you by Conversation Design Institute. It's the world's leading training and certification institute for people working in conversational AI. So organizations like NatWest, Vodafone, Adidas, and many others like Conversation Design Institute because of its easy-to-follow online courses on AI training, conversation design, and conversational copywriting. So it doesn't matter if you're creating your first chatbot or voice experience, or maybe you're already experiencing the complexities of an enterprise operation. These courses and programs will help you deliver inclusive, human-centric conversational experiences. The easy-to-follow workflow can be applied to all conversational interfaces and help you unlock the potential of conversational AI technology. So to learn more, go to conversationdesigninstitute.com. That's conversationdesigninstitute.com, and I will see you there. Lots of lots of Polish jokes, I imagine. Yeah. No, probably not. <laughs> probably, probably not, actually. But um, So there's two ways this place, right? So there's an, a brand like a Google Assistant or an Alexa that is being localized, but then there's also one brand that just needs to speak to many cultures. And I'm thinking an airliner, yeah. for example, right? So I'm one airliner. I have one assistant, but I need to make sure that I'm relevant and engaging, yep. but also very inclusive. If, I, if I'm actually going around the world, I'm going all the way from Asia, making stops in Europe and going all the way to South America. Yep. Then I need to, it's, it's a whole, it becomes a whole different game in a way to make sure that you don't, I guess offend, but also you know don't become boring. Yeah, that, um, that's right? it, and that's where the fine line is. I mean, it's actually easier not to offend people than not to be boring, because you know if you just keep it really business-like and basically just only write informative prose, then it's very hard to be offensive. Other than the fact that you're boring the socks off people, so that can be offensive in and of itself. But um, yeah, I think there's there's ways to to work around it one of the things is that what we always say when we design bot persona we also design a user persona and why do we design a user persona because if you if you're not designing for someone you're not designing for anyone basically so yeah. and you can also think of like hollywood blockbusters they appeal to people all over the world and still they're not really i mean whatever your opinion about them as works of art you can't say that Hollywood blockbusters are really uh, boring, dull, and nothing happens, right? Yeah. So there, there is a way to tap into what makes us people all over the world tick uh, without offending and without being really boring. But the proof is yeah. in the pudding. I mean, the proof is in the, in the actual writing of the dialogues and, and stuff like that. And you can, once it's on, on the page and once you're testing it in a chapel, you can immediately feel whether it's working or not. But that's only the re the only way to really do it. You can philosophize about it a lot, but as soon as you have it on the page or or in your test environment, you can see what it's like. Yeah, and it, it probably has more to. So it's very easy to look at a, a certain culture, and and treat it as a, you know become gimmicky. But the key is actually to go a level deeper and understand yep. what what a hero's journey is, and understand yep. what archetypes is, and understand human behavior rather than. Oh, this is Santa Claus. This is a festival. This is what we do. And I was like, no, no. What's actually taking place here? Yeah. Then, yeah, I, I think we actually said that yesterday. Like the most universal trait is that we all think we're different. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so you can find deeper, you know, deeply rooted yeah. uh, uh, traits within people that you can play with. And yeah. then, you know, it's 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 stronger rather than you know lame and gimmicky. Yeah, I mean, 
people, even though I love talking about the jokes and stuff in the Google Assistant and the work I did there, I mean, persona, personality, writing is actually much more important in everything else but the jokes and the riddles yeah. and, the, and the poems and stuff. I mean, because yeah. most corporate chatbots aren't even going to have, if they have jokes, it's like two or three, just because they want to field some jokes for people who ask the chatbot to tell a joke. Um, but persona is, and we, we often get this a lot in, uh, as a question in workshops. It's like, okay, so we designed this persona, but now we're doing a sample dialogue and we're talking about how to cancel my phone subscription. And so where does persona ever get in here, right? And um, in a certain sense, you know, you could say, well, it hardly, it hardly does, but it's in tiny little things like acknowledgements, like the way the conversations opened uh in a general attitude that the uh the chatbot displays in in its eagerness or willingness to help a customer um and in the way we say we we close off the conversation we say goodbye there's some room there for some personality content and it's like the the fairy dust you sprinkle in uh to elevate it from just transactional dialogues to being an experience and it does yeah, take and, it does take some work and it does take practice before you before it's in yeah and i think also like if you look at like most tv shows are that are bad are bad because there's yeah. no depth to character and everything that comes out of their mouth you just feel like it's just written yeah yeah you know, <laughs> they just needed another 20 yeah. minutes for this episode yeah. um so if there's so as soon as you have true character and people know how to work with character it the character create the you know the chatbot yeah. creates depth and and makes it more believable and creates a, a richer experience and then i think there's it's important to make that distinction between persona which is really the character and how it talks and then there's yeah. personality content and i think a lot of people get that mixed up because persona is the character personality content could be chit chat jokes uh, yeah. seasonal content the little the little fun experiences that you might throw out there and and there's value in that because you know it, it can make the experience mm -hmm. more engaging but also if people feel like there's fun out there uh, they become more yeah, forgiving exactly, yeah. when when a chatbot fails. So if you don't have a lot of you know if you don't have a lot of use cases in there, where like ask a question. Well, that's it. Well, is there anything else we can do here? If they're interested, yeah. you want to facilitate that a little bit. So you build that relationship and trust with mm -hmm. with people. Uh, so there's definitely value in it as as well. So so what are what are some of the things that that you think around personality content that like every chatbot should maybe have or, yeah. or you know it's like the sprinkles the sorry does you say but it when when do i start applying this what okay do I so need? um um there's actually creating personality content um for example jokes or or fun answers to you know the, the general questions like uh, do you want to marry me how old are you are you a robot you know the there's like this standard lineup of, of chit chat questions that people will ask a chatbot over the course of his, its existence. And actually, if you're creating your, your chatbot from scratch and your team's getting started up and they have to find their tone of voice, they have to, they've created the bot persona there, they've created their first sample dialogues, which are often very business related because the business needs drive a creation of a chatbot. So mm -hmm. let's say you're a telco, so your first uh, 10 dialogues will be about 
and my uh, how many minutes do I have left on my subscription? Can I use my phone abroad? I want to cancel my subscription. Can I prolong my subscription? All these kind of you know business driven questions, and then the team's working on that and figuring out how to get them in the platform and stuff like that. But actually, what we're doing now is that in our cycles of workshops, for example, when they get to work with our AI trainers and start learning the platform and how to implement dialogues they've created in the platform, uh, we have them create some chit chat because it's really easy to implement in the dialogue because it's just a question, mm. a group of uh, training phrases. So the 15 or 20 different ways of asking that question are added to the platform. And then you're one or two varieties of the answer. So it's not like you, ha you have to build a massive dialogue with entities and all kind of complications. So, and then that helps the team. Like, first of all, they have, they very quickly, they have a chat, but they can actually test because they know the three questions they've put in and they can ask the questions and they can see it's happening. Right. Yeah. And their, their manager who will be like waiting for something to happen can ask the chatbot, can you give me the weather report? And uh, and the chapel will say, well, no, I can't actually give you the weather report, but as it's the Netherlands, I advise you always travel with an umbrella. So, you know, just some fun answers like that. And the manager will be like really pleased, probably disproportionately pleased that, that the chatbot is actually working, right? Yeah. And this will help the team, you know, learn a lot of stuff and find, find, its, find its feet. So that'll be a very practical application. And then... Obviously, business needs will take over, and for the for the launch for the MVP, we'll need to have the, like twenty FAQs in there. Um, and then, as soon as the bot starts maturing a bit, it's a it's a fun exercise to really finish your personality set of questions that'll that'll probably live in the chatbot forever, um, yeah. because they they round out the character also for the team that owns the chatbot. They'll round out the character. You know, when, when the chatbot is, is exhibited, for example, within the company, they'll do three or four very serious things. And then one funny thing that probably is a bit of an inside joke. So everybody at the company gets a laugh out of it and people start to love the product more. And then um, I was going to say one more thing. Oh, yeah. The one thing that I really think a mature uh, and fully fledged chat corporate chatbot should be able to do is have some uh seasonal content so just yeah. you know around christmas time winter time when people just you know call the chatbot it should replace its standard introduction with something like uh hi merry christmas what can i do for you today you know because that really i mean that really is a little bit of delight that can, can both be done very very easily you know every platform has ways to date fence uh, responses yeah. so that you can only serve them in certain times or you can do it manually, you know, you can re replace them for a month and it's the festive season. Um, hope you're well, what can I do for you today? You know, whichever way you want to do it, it just adds so much delight, you know, you know, February 14th, Valentine's day, you can just add some fun stuff. I mean, it doesn't have to be huge, preferably actually not if you can do it subtly and, and, and with some, you know, with style. That really helps. So then, then your chatbot's like mature, and uh, and that's when it's when it just feels like you're interacting with someone yeah. rather than something. I think. Yeah, and a, and a lot of times, so what a lot of companies struggle with is they'll have you know a chatbot that is very service oriented and that does a good job, but then you know there's different businesses that are like, can we get it to sell stuff? Yeah, yeah. You know, or can we can we do other things? So yeah. how do you you know at the end of a conversation lead into a more you know uh, sales type 
you know, persuasive conversation and personality contest. Well, yeah, we're seeing, well, cause you... we're seeing that more and more. And actually here at home, uh, we actually, for the first time bought something through a chatbot. Um, so that was, you know, it's actually, it was my wife who's not really that into chatbots and stuff. And she was like, Hey, look, this website has a chatbot. Let's see what it can do. And, and 10 minutes later, she'd ordered a product, um, through, through that chatbot, which was like amazing. And it was actually a very minimalistic, but well-written and, and efficient little, uh, sales chatbot. Um, yeah. So, so when you're, when you're at the end, end of your informative dialogue, uh, and you want to like say, uh, upsell, then it's it's always good if you if the persona is kind of clear to the user and also that it's very enticing. So there's all kinds of behavioral techniques to get people to be more more enticed to yeah. at least want to discover what's out there, right? And what the yeah, chatbot can, can do. Yeah, you can use the persona as a hook to start yeah. a new conversation. So there's never a dead end street after a service journey. But yeah. you know, you can sort of lead into something. It's like, hey, do you have another minute? Or hey, by the way, what's the di like? You could even ask yeah. a little riddle if you know that you've helped someone properly, and and yeah. you know, there's already that reciprocity in a way as well. Because hey, you've solved my problem. I'm gonna listen to you now, uh, and then you can use personality content to sort of lead into a, a more yeah. Know, it's always yeah. So basically, it's about that the chatbot has earned earned a moment to yeah. be kind of proactive, right? You so let's say, shot. yeah, <laughs> let's say you're a big car brand and somebody's just asked some specification questions and you, you've helped them. And, and now they know, you know, uh, the size of the trunk on a certain car. And then, uh, you know, basically the dialogues kind of finished. Um, and then the chatbot says, uh, did you know that, uh, in 2000 something, uh, all cars in this and that city will have to be electric. It's like, it's like, no, I didn't okay. know that. So, and then you can lead into like a little sales journey to, to pitch their electric, electric mo car models, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's, there's definitely that, but it, it can also, if you, if all your other dialogues that come before are very like business-like or very, you know, dull and don't have any slight little persona edge, then when this happens, it's like really weird yeah. and it won't work. So you need to earn it in everything. So it yeah. needs to start from the greeting through the every little acknowledgement. So like if, if somebody says, yeah, I, I want to see the green cars, you don't say green cars coming up. You say, okay, let me show you the green cars, you know, so the the okay, but then next time you don't want to say, okay, again, because then it's like, okay, okay, okay. And it's like a broken record. So, you know, you have to work with varieties of acknowledgements and stuff. So that's where, but that's where writing as a persona really comes in. Yeah, and and so, so in our CDI workflow, you know, we have AI trainers, conversation designers, and copywriters. And the way to think about you know the entire workflow is before any conversation is being created, it's like we mentalize the conversation. Yep. Then we have the conversation, a sample dialogue. Then we validate it, you know, by you know with visit of OS test to make sure it's inclusive and works for everybody else. And then we optimize it for behavior. And that's, we do that in the expert rewrite. And that's really where, you know, the conversational copywriter uh, comes in that has better understanding of, of behavior psychology, of personality, and is really the expert copywriter. And it's often a more senior person on the team mm -hmm. that has just put in the 10,000 hours and, and really understands character development. And uh, it, it's really going from, you know, 
a, a low fidelity conversation to a high fidelity interaction where you go from something that's useful to something that becomes delightful in a way, right? Yeah. And, and then you create like this beautiful polished experience, which can then go to detailed conversations where the model gets trained, it gets implemented, yep. uh, long tail repair, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's the editor in chief almost of the entire conversation yeah, exactly. with the team. Yeah. And the funny thing is that, you know, I've, I've worked for clients and then you do the, the final, the very, very final tweak. And they say, some of them will say, but you hardly changed anything. And it's like, yeah, yeah. But that's like, like the few things you did change are going to be like a world of difference sometimes. Yeah. You know, just adding a few acknowledgements, doing them well, and just trimming one sentence here, just moving, changing the, the order slightly of presenting things can it's, make so much difference it's amazing yeah and it's really you know saying it out loud like a, you know like yeah. a table read in tv shows like going through the dialogue saying it out loud listening to it polishing it up making sure it works for for behavior i think it, i was as you were talking i was thinking about jack Kerouac quotes uh one day i'll find the right words and they'll be simple like yeah. that's sort of the, the <laughs> elegance of you know, yeah i didn't ha i didn't have time to write the short version uh yeah, exactly it's, yeah it's really you know nailing it making sure because a lot of yeah. times what teams will do they'll have like their first draft and then they want to make that better but that usually means that they start adding stuff yeah. and and then it gets too long because you want to you know sort of respect the one breath test if something's you know if you can't say it in one breath it's probably too long of a message yeah. um so it it really takes expert copywriting. And I think it's also the role that companies struggle with the most uh, to hire for. Because uh, all the people that excel at it, like, well, Mark, uh, we mentioned before, who's an Emmy nominated screenwriter. Mm -hmm. You know, there is like, it, yeah. it's, a, it's a weird bunch of characters that, you know, end up doing this. Yeah, well, that's true. And, and it's also, you know, also going from my own experience, you know, people who do that, also want to do a lot of different stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's not the most natural thing to join the bank and spend the rest of your life yeah. editing bank copy. Right. So, um, so it is tricky to find. And, um, but that's, you know, also where, why we train people to do it because it is an art that can be learned to a large extent, like basically everything in life. Yeah. So that's why, we, why we also train people to do that. Yeah, and because with great uh, success, I think. Yeah, because for the conversational copywriter certificates, uh, you know, if we look at that that we have at CDI, there's the entire framework and step by step flow of of creating the persona, like mm. really the character development. Then there is the personality content where you teach people how to write a joke, amongst many other things that that you teach there. But it's great fun. It's my favorite. So I always <laughs> send it to, to clients like you need to watch this. It's, it's really funny. Um, so there's, you know, how do you develop a persona? How do you develop personality content? And then there's the whole uh, series on behavior design based on the BJ Fogg model and yeah. Cialdini. And there is about, I don't know, like 20, 30 very specific copywriting techniques that people can apply, but it does take you know there, there's a lot of stuff in there where you know you you, you listen to it you read about it you think oh, i got this but yeah. then actually executing <laughs> on it is yeah. a whole different game and it's, yeah. it's a tricky part yeah and actually what you mentioned is the reading out loud that has that has always been my like party trick because the way i mean there's no way to to check your own copy because you can read it but your mind is like yeah. so involved in what's there that 
you just read what you think is there rather than what's actually on the page. So reading out loud or, or even better, like having your, uh, in your chatbot, if it has a voice, like playing it in the voice, it's like awesome because it's like stuff you think would sound great in your head. And then you press on the play button. And so it's like, Oh, this isn't working at all. You know? So that's, that's actually a really good way of doing it. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And, um, we're sort of getting it at the end of the hour here. Um, so and we have a lot more to talk about. So I Definitely. say we we do another one uh, soon because what's interesting about your journey and I'm not even going to allow you to talk about that because we'll do that in the next one. Is you you started very much from this personality persona side, but then as you started working with enterprise, you know you also stumbled upon the entire AI training challenge that, yep. that companies have, and and then you actually took the lead. Uh, with Willem Don here uh, and some of our partners to develop an entire course on the AI training side. And uh, what I like particularly about that is how persona and AI training can work together. Because if you have good personality and good framing in your messages, you make it easier for the system to understand these things. Yep. Um, but we're going to talk about that. Cool. Some other, some other day. Next so episode. Thank, next episode. No, so thank you so much for, for doing this and sharing your story. Uh, it, it's great to have this chat with you because we're always busy and we never sit down to have exactly, conversations yeah. like this. Yeah. Uh, so, so thank you so much. And, and I learned Thank you, Hans. Great you fun. Right. See you at the office soon. <laughs> See you at the office soon, man. Take care. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks. Hey there, you made it to the end. Congratulations. I really appreciate that. Uh, I know you're busy, so you've listened to a full episode. So congrats on you. Great job. So now what should we talk about? No, I'm just kidding. First of all, thanks. Second of all, if you want to learn more about Conversation Design Institute, I highly recommend that you go to the website, conversationdesigninstitute.com. And there you can sign up for a free account and start your learning journey. So you can learn about you know, AI training, conversation design, conversational copywriting. There's lots of technology courses. So now that you've gathered these technology agnostic skills, uh, what are you going to do next? You know, Are you going to learn about Allen App, Qbox, Raza, Cognigy. We have all these different technology courses as well. So there's a whole, whole portfolio. So I recommend you know going there, creating a free account, watching a few videos. If that's enough for you, great. Uh, if you want more, you can just enroll and become a certified professional. These courses are really good if you are you know an individual designer, writer that wants to learn about conversational AI. But if you're an enterprise and you're looking to skill up your team, uh, lots of enterprises onboard their entire team to these courses to skill them up quickly. And it's also an option to add extra workshops with that and extra coaching sessions. So you quickly get that enterprise team where you want it to be. If that's a little too much, maybe uh, there's also papers you can download on the website, maybe learn a bit about how we've helped Vodafone skill up 100 people in different countries, in different languages, using different technologies, creating the Toby chatbot in apps, on websites, in voice, all these types of things. So you can learn about that too. The best way to stay in touch, follow the podcast. You know, you'll, you'll hear all the latest updates. Uh, say hello on Twitter. HVDAM is my handle. 
stands for Hans van Damme, obviously. Uh, or just type in my name on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I post regularly. I like to engage with people there. Uh, so feel free to do that. So again, thank you so much to for listening to this podcast. You know, happy to meet again for the next one. 